Hey, caffeinators. Welcome to the Vet Tech Cafe. The Vet Tech Cafe is a podcast centered around veterinary technicians and nurses, hosted by myself, Dave Cowan, and my good friend, Jeff Backus. We strive to discuss current issues facing our profession and give our colleagues a voice and a medium to enter into these discussions. Our guests are experts in the veterinary field that we hope can help our listeners work towards dealing with these issues, as well as coming up with solutions that can lead to change. If you have a question, comment, or would like to be a guest on the Vet Tech Cafe, please contact us at vettechcafe at gmail.com, or you can find us at our website, vettechcafe.com. One thing we would ask of you, our listeners, is to rate and review us on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. We're not exactly sure how or why this helps us, but apparently it does. So without further ado, come on in, grab yourself a cup of coffee, and get ready for another episode of the Vet Tech Cafe. Hello, caffeinators. Happy, uh, let's see, what is it, Dave? Tuesday. Tuesday at noon for me. Um, it's almost July, yeah. Yeah, getting close, right? June 29th. Wow, I can't believe I I didn't post it this week, but um, you know, I, I missed my halfway to Christmas uh, on June 25th earlier uh-huh. this week, but sure. I, I know you're, I know you're <laughs> glad I didn't post that. And, and our guest today is probably in the same boat. So yeah. how's things going out there? Oh, it's, it's really hot out here. Like it is in the rest of the country. It's, uh, it's, it's just stifling hot, but it's, uh, it's going good out here. Good. How are you guys good, doing good. out there? Uh, we're good. You know, thankfully the, for, for once the Southwest is a little cooler than the Northwest. <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's not too bad here, but, uh, but I know our, our friends and colleagues up in the Northwest, actually one of whom we're going to talk to today yeah. are, are just stifling hot. So, um, hopefully cooler days are ahead for them. You know, one thing that's kind of making the rounds, I wanted to get your uh, opinion on, and, and I think We'll probably ask our guest later as well. Ken Yagi, a good friend of ours and colleague, uh, yeah. posted about you know he works for Veg now and and uh, trying to to recruit for some of their future locations that are going to be opening up. And they have a really interesting model, and you know they're they're advertising probably really top end pay for, yeah, for what yeah. veterinary technicians get and, and some really cool benefits. I wonder if, if you had any thoughts on that, or if you had a chance to like look into anything, or, or have heard any experiences or anything. I, I haven't looked into it. I, I've just seen the numbers that that they're posting that they're willing to pay, like upwards of like forty dollars an hour for yeah. for VTSs. You know, my first thought was like, oh, this must be a, a Northern California practice because oh I mean, yeah, because expensive cost of living, expensive and, cost yeah. of living. But I think that's their model throughout their yeah. entire practice. I think so. And I I know some of them are not in. That region, uh, I know there's some up. When I went up to Connecticut, there was a mm-hmm. there was a couple up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's going to be some down here in the south. And those numbers, if that's you know, it, it's kind of a skeptical way of looking at it. Like, oh, there's no way they're going to pay us that. But right, but maybe they are. You know, forging forward and saying, yeah. you know what, techs are worth this money, yeah, and we're going to do it. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I kind of have the same thought. Like, you know, almost too too good to be true. I do know a few people that work for a couple of different veg locations. Um, there's a couple in New England and and some other locations as well, and they absolutely rave about the model and you know the pay and everything else. And I'm sure, actually, I guess I don't really know, but I'm sure a lot of places are are a little bit scared that you know they'll have to to compete with that but yeah i mean that's that's the whole point to me is that so many places when you look at job ads they say they offer a competitive wage mm-hmm. and and for me you know dave you and i are sports fans what does it mean to compete that means to compete to be the best at something right if you're right, offering right. a competitive wage that to me means you are offering a wage better than everybody else 
Yeah. And so, well, on, and, and that's not what happens with competitive no, wages. It's, they, not. They, it's like they're competing to keep wages stagnant and just doing what everybody else is doing. And now, here's somebody coming in that is going to have a footprint in the next couple of years, kind of on a national scale. Mm-hmm. And and if they can pull it off, I'm hoping that that will be one of those situations that, uh, what do they say, a rising tide raises all ships, yep, something yep. along those lines. Like maybe this will actually be something positive. And <laughs> I, I certainly great, hope so. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. and to your point, you know, they you say competitive wage, but who are they competing with? They're competing right. with themselves. Right, the exactly. People that, people that make the market are the ones that make the market the same. And it, that's that's one of the things that always drives me crazy. It's like, oh yeah, we're this is the market in the area. We're like, well, who sets that market? You right. and everyone else sets that yeah. market. So it's never going to change unless somebody like right. Veg comes out and says, you know what, we're going to raise the, raise the bar and this is what we're going to start paying and maybe yeah. we can make this the new norm. You know, yeah. hats off to them if that if that is their goal is, is to is to raise the bar and, you know, pay us what we're worth and, and pay us that quote unquote living wage. It, it would be great to see technicians not have to have two jobs. Right. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, again, maybe that's just the first cog in the wheel and, and it'll continue to, to move things forward. And I, I just hope that I mean, even, you know, honestly, if I, I think worst case scenario, if nobody else comes up to match, then people, then, then technicians are just going to leave for these higher coveted, higher mm-hmm. paying jobs. And it's going to force hands one way or another. One, yeah. One way or the other, and, it's going to force and, a hand. Yeah. You know, I, I'm very interested to see how all that plays out. I, I think kind of as you were alluding to earlier, my my, my skeptic technician brain that has yeah. been jaded for too many years says, ah, this probably can't work. But they, they on the technician side, they have some really, really amazing people that are helping to drive this. And I'll, I mean, I'm going to be watching closely to see oh, if, yeah, they can, too. if they can really pull it off. But my gosh, I really hope they can because yeah, I do too. Yeah. It, it, it could be something really, really cool for the profession. So yeah, well, yeah. And, and that's going to be something that keeps technicians in the field. Of, yeah, of suddenly saying, yeah, I was making seventeen dollars an hour, and now they're going to pay me twenty eight dollars an hour. Yeah, then, yeah, yeah right. I'm, I'm staying. Yeah, then I can, I can do yeah. this for a little while longer. And oh, look, the benefits are better, and and this yeah. is better, and my quality of life is better, and all of those things that just kind of start to snowball from there yeah yeah absolutely so yeah i i really hope it works and, and i do hats too. off to them if it does work yeah and again i i do know a few people that work for different veg hospitals and and certainly you know they're they're fairly new so nobody like yeah, very, very long ter- term yet but you know the early returns seem promising everybody yeah. raves about their models so I, I i love what they're doing and i love that they're being aggressive with their recruiting and that they're saying hey this is who we are this is what we're doing come join us i yeah. And and not this like, oh, well, you know, come and come inside and talk to us and we'll go over all that with you. And, you know, they're they're like, nope, here we are. And this is what we're doing. I, I yep. love it. I love it. Yeah. So. Put, put it all out on the table. And, yeah, and, absolutely. Because how many times we see those ads that say, like you said, competitive wage of. Right. You know, whatever that means. Right. Uh, and right. then and then you get in there and you're like, well, this isn't yeah. any more than I was making. So Yeah. And then what happens with that? <laughs> you know, eventually technicians work basically all of the hospitals in their area exhaust all of their options and they say, well, this is all there is. So I'm out. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, pretty much. And you know, that's, I, I think ultimately what they're, what they're looking to avoid. And I, I I'm really pulling for them because I, I think that could be a real game yeah. changer. So hopefully, yeah. so hopefully, yeah. So, um, 
What do you think? Should we go ahead and uh, get started? Yeah, on let's today? get into uh, it. Yeah, I'm pretty excited for today's um, episode. So today we have um, April Bays coming by the Vet Tech Cafe. Um, really good friend of ours, longtime friend from our I think our she was group. also she was one of the first people that when we announced we were doing this was like, hell yeah, this is gonna yes. be great. <laughs> yes, absolutely, one of our biggest supporters. So I'm stoked yeah, to have her yeah. come by today, and she's been working on something for for a little while that we wanted to kind of wait to interview her to to talk about, which we're going to cover today. So April, if if you're not familiar with April, I don't. A, I don't know why you're not. But B, she's one of the admins for the ER Vet Tech rounds, and one of her big focuses in the professional realm is is to kind of get away from the quote "we've always done it that way" that is so rampant Ugh, in our field. It's my, um, my least favorite phrase. <laughs> yes, and and she also wants to to live in a world where cats make that teeth chattering sound when they see humans, <laughs> and, and all drivers keep to the right unless passing. But more importantly, uh, she's been a CVT. <laughs> for more than 20 years um, and becoming a, a VTS in emergency and critical care in our group in 2013. Loves to speak at conferences, mostly on, I'll say kidney stuff, but the RAS system and things of that <laughs> sort, pain, pain management. She also created Elevative uh, veterinary, tech, uh, veterinary Training Solutions in 2020 to kind of help share her passion for training and emphasize technician empowerment. Um, and then she very recently became the 24th, um, and there's significance in that number that I'll let her explain, the 20 fourth veterinary cannabis counselor to be certified as an expert in cannabinoid medicine for veterinary species. We'll talk a lot about that today. So April, thank you very much for coming by the Vet Tech Cafe. Super stoked you're here. What can we get you for a cup of coffee? Oh, thank you guys for having me. <laughs> Let's see. I will have, uh, like Dave, I have a basically an iced or cold coffee every day of the year, um, mm. regardless of the weather. Today, I'm on the sun. <laughs> My kind of drinker. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> Uh, but I'll just have some uh, regular coffee, usually just a little bit of like half and half and honey. Oh, honey. Oh, okay. okay. All right. That's All different. Right. Yeah. Well, we'll get you an iced coffee because I know you're sizzling up there in Oregon. <laughs> um, if you don't mind, take us through your career path for a couple minutes. Kind of what got you into vet med, some, some of the stops along the way to all the way up to what you're doing now. We always find some really, really interesting facets to kind of jump off from from there. So if you don't mind, just take us through that for a couple minutes. Uh, yeah, I started around, oh, I don't know, the age of five or something. I decided <laughs> I wanted to, uh, well, first I wanted to be a cop. <clears throat> most specifically a an animal cop because I really wanted to basically get into the stuff that I saw that was just like horrifying to me. It, mostly, you know, homelessness of animals and animal abuse. And I was like, how is this a thing? I got to get in there and get these creeps. Um, later, that turned into something more <laughs> productive. Uh, I, <laughs> I wanted to be a veterinarian. And then basically, that was the the path for me. So I'm going to be a vet, I'm going to go to vet school. And that's just always been my plan. Well, of course, in the meantime, I'm poor, and I can't quite get into vet school. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm gonna, uh, you know, do community college in the meantime, get what I can as far as credits under my belt. And when I spoke with the um, counselor, whoever at Oregon State, where the vet school is, they were like, you know, uh, having veterinary hours is ideal for lots of reasons. And I was like, Oh, I didn't I didn't even know I could do that because I'm nobody yet. So basically just started volunteering at a clinic after work. And so I was doing a few hours here and there. And after a little while, they were like, you know, we should start paying you. <laughs> <laughs> really appreciate your help and uh, we feel like we should pay you. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're going to pay me to do this? What? So basically that's where 
that started and, and the not getting paid to be a vet tech. I never expected to get paid. Unfortunately, that was what I didn't know early on. And so basically, I was an assistant for many years. Um, ultimately, I ended up moving out of the area where I would go to vet school. And so a bunch of time passed, I continued doing, you know, assistant work. And around eight years in or so, a technician friend of mine was, you know, encouraging me to take the boards at the time we could uh, quote unquote grandfather in or challenge the boards um, and become certified. And I wasn't going to be a vet tech, so I didn't know why I would want to do that. And I was like, that's amazing. First of all, what's a vet tech? So granted, that was a few years prior, but I didn't have any exposure to that whatsoever. In fact, at, at one of my first clinics, I didn't even know what a CVT was. We had somebody that came on sort of my midway in my time there. And she introduced things like, oh, for example, we had only a towel on our surgery table. And she was like, hey, I need some heat, yo. And I was like, what? That's so smart. <laughs> absolutely had no idea what I didn't know and how much I didn't know, which was unbelievable. So that sort of mind-blowing period after that was like, oh, my gosh, there's a lot to this. And there's a lot of people that know that stuff. Like, they know what they're doing. And I super don't, you know, so I felt like I was in no way prepared to, you know, take this step because I didn't go to school and I only knew what I knew, you know, so I didn't know what I didn't know. And I uh, was very, you know, set on being a, a veterinarian. So once the, that time was going to, to end where we weren't going to be able to grandfather in, uh, that was coming up. And so I just decided to do it. And by some miracle, I passed and was like, well, this is amazing. And this is actually a job I really like. And so it occurred to me, I probably would be happier as a vet tech, because now I had a little bit of experience actually seeing, quite frankly, how miserable the doctors were that I worked with. And like, <laughs> this is not, you know, all it's cracked up to be. And more than anything, the debt that I, you know, I mm -hmm. just could not fathom how I would ever pay that back. And... I was like, let's embrace this thing. So let's let's be a vet tech. So this changed my whole mindset. And at, at around this time, I was I was doing some relief work at the emergency clinic, and so I was doing uh, a little bit of both. Of course, I was having children kind of in this period, and was trying to combat the cost of daycare and everything. So I decided I would work nights at the emergency clinic because you know. I don't need sleep, but I do want to be the cost <laughs> of um, daycare, so I'm going to be up with them in the day, and I'll work at night, and uh, something about it, though, was appealing, and I wanted to take the plunge and go all the way over there. So I, well, I did several years of relief. So I did a lot of back and forth and I got to sort of experience enough of it to say, I definitely want to keep doing this. So in the meantime, Facebook came around and, you know, there was a time before Facebook was a thing. I don't know how many of us did anything without it, but uh, I saw this group on Facebook, ER Vet Tech Rounds, and I was like, this is amazing. First of all, um, now I have access to all these other people that aren't, you know, the eight people that I work with. And that completely changed everything. First of all, I was like, I had no idea that there were technicians that were this skilled. I was so incredibly impressed and just completely blown away at the capacity of these people. And of course, inspired and like I want to I want to do that I, I could never but this could show me at least that there's a possibility of something that big in the future 
And uh, really, it just inspired me to keep learning because it was as if I didn't realize how much I could know until I was exposed to all of that stuff. And that was life-changing. One of the technicians that I worked with at the time was applying for her VTS, super curious about it, heard all this stuff, and was, you know, just super excited for her. Sometime down the road, another technician, a friend of mine, was deciding to do it as well, and she somehow convinced me, basically pulled my arm and was like, you're going to do it with me. Uh, And I was like, no, I'm not. But I'm going to be a really good cheerleader for you. And you're going to do amazing. Like you went to tech school and you did all the stuff that, you know, I think a person needs before they can do this. And clearly, I, the imposter, cannot possibly get down, you know what I mean, to to Mm -hmm. down the road. She convinced me and I terrifyingly uh, joined and that's when I met you guys and we did this incredible thing that I never in a million years would have thought was possible. And we got I still can't believe we pulled it off sometimes. Absolutely, 100%. There's imposter syndrome rearing its ugly head there. I'm not even sure if I'm good enough for imposter syndrome, quite frankly. But uh, anyhow, I am amazed, really, at what's out there at this point. And so after having the opportunity to learn so much more than I ever knew before, I was just really excited to share this knowledge because basically I was like, I didn't even know I could know this stuff. And if I can know this stuff, literally everybody in this building can know this stuff. And What's even more disheartening, quite frankly, is beyond that, if I know this stuff, how are veterinarians in my area not knowing this stuff? How are we still giving TORB for pain? How are we giving (laughs) steroids to trauma or whatever? And I'm thinking, honestly, this is frightening. This is just a lack of knowledge, a lack of experience. And I I don't blame them individually, but we've got to do something. And so it just really sparked my drive for betterment of all of us. And beyond that, I wanted to start my business to do more training. And I eventually just kept trying to work my job while trying to do this business. And ultimately, I couldn't do it all at the same time until I moved on to a relief-only position. But in the meantime, I just fell in love with the aspect of encouraging um, education and growth in technicians. And you don't even have to like make them want to learn this stuff. You just bring it up and they're excited. It's just, I feel like it's obviously the thing we want and need and, and crave. So the last thing was just this veterinary cannabis counselor, which um, is something I'm really excited about. And I just love learning the, you know, kind of the newest things and scientific evidence, whatever that might be at the time is always changing. It's something I'm really excited about. And uh, so that's what I've done most recently. So as a counselor, then I can talk to other, to the owners as sort of a guidance in products and all of that stuff. But also within the teams, there's, you know, plenty of education and training that can be done. So there's just a lot of areas where I'm trying to kind of reach out and help where I can really. Awesome. That's great. Thinking back to your beginnings and up through getting your VTS and and kind of moving forward to where you are now, uh, where do you see the veterinary technician profession right now? I know you and I have had some conversations on some of those, uh, what do we call them, the happy hour uh, meetups that we do on Zoom sometimes. We, we've had some conversations about you know, what we've been dealing with and how things are going. But how, how do you see the, the profession as a whole right now? You know, I may be speaking for myself because uh, I just I feel very strongly about what I'm dealing with right now. But I just I feel like we've been really good sports mm. for too long. And I think time is up. 
I think right now, especially because of just, there's so many pieces of it. The lack of awareness as far as the public goes, I think mm -hmm. uh, we're working on it, but I do think that's a huge obstacle. For, for example, the every time we bring up, say, suicide awareness or, you know, how our profession is affected by it, which is a huge thing. Isn't it interesting? I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but how every time we post something like that, all of our colleagues are like, yes, I'm behind you on this. This is unacceptable. Let's do something. And the public, every single person out there, basically besides my family and best friends, anybody not in the field, though, they are always shocked. No idea, right? And when they do come around to, okay, this is, yeah, that makes sense. That must be really hard. Euthanizing pets must be really hard. Like they jump to that as if that's mm -hmm. the thing that breaks our heart. I could go on and on. And, you know, we're like, it has very little to do actually with that. And for lots of reasons. So I think there is a huge piece of what we need that is in conflict with what we're asking for, basically. What I'm saying is like, we need more training. We need more money. We need to be respected, but we're never going to get those things while the public doesn't even know that a vet tech exists. They don't know what um, the cost of those things actually are. And they don't know that there is a difference between somebody with very little experience running their anesthesia and, and a VTS and anesthesia mm -hmm. running mm -hmm. their anesthesia on a, you know, on a critical case. And too often, again, that's not to say that anybody's better than anybody else. That's not the point. The point is, is that, you know, you see people talking about, hey, I need a recommendation for a vet. Well, I want the cheapest one possible. Yeah. Do, do you? Here's the difference. You have an assistant who was me. <clears throat> the guy who didn't know I needed more than a towel on the surgery table <laughs> and the difference between a VTS and anesthesia that will keep your dog who basically can barely exist as a, you know, alive and not, uh, or awake and not anesthetized animal, <laughs> bring them all the way through surgery, through anesthesia mm. and back to life. And that's amazing. There is so much more involved, I think, than people realize. I think they just see the bottom line of like, this is my estimate. This is a lot of money. Why do you ask for so much money? Right. Totally. Right. And, yeah. and I think for for some of us, it's just downright disrespectful. I know personally, yeah. it's like, stop acting like I'm this like podunk, you know, kind of medicine, kind of not. This is real medicine. This I am yeah. as, you know, as experienced as a nurse. And who's the most trusted professional yeah. in the world? <laughs> right. It's nurses. Right. Don't, they yeah. don't even yeah. know we exist. So yeah. we can't get respect and we can't get somebody saying, I want a certified veterinary technician running my anesthesia. They're not going to do that because they don't even know. And so then they're definitely not going to pay for what that costs to pay us what we deserve and, you know, all of the things that come from that. So I think a lot of it has to do with us just going with it because we want to provide this service and desperately wanting to, you know, help the animals and the public not knowing. And so we are cutting corners to make it happen, but we cut the corners mm -hmm. on ourselves. That's been, unfortunately, the perception, at least, because the, the public doesn't seem to want to give. So we just keep giving. We can't anymore. Here's what yeah. we do instead. I wonder how much of that is the public's perception that the doctor's doing everything. You know, the doctor's the one that's gone to school, not understanding that we go to school too. But I wonder if they think that the reason that there's no respect for technicians is the fact that the doctor should be doing everything because they're, they're the adult in the room, essentially. Right. 
No, I, I fully agree. I think that the perception is definitely that. I mean, every time it comes up, you know, it doesn't come up very often, but the public uh, or our client says something specific. When the doctor does the da-da-da-da-da, and I'm like, no. Yeah. <laughs> oh, how about the, no, that's also me. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great question. There are four things they do. I do everything else. I mean, that that's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. And to your point about, you know, shooting ourselves in the foot for so long, I mean, you think about, you know, going back to when we all started, I mean, with vaccine clinics and coupons for spays and neuters and trying to be the lowest price in town so that we could do, you know, the, the, the most procedures and what have you all under the the guise of this is the best for the pets and we're doing you know more and more and more for the community and and trying to you know provide access to care and and all of these things but there's a cumulative toll that's taken on doing all of that and eventually you know instead of saying well we can do a cat's bay for fifty dollars and putting out an advertising that we can do that we need to say a cat's bay is major abdominal surgery (laughs) It takes a lot of training. It takes a lot of help to make sure your cat stays alive. And this is why it costs this much. And if we charge what we should be charging and we can do one or two of them a day, we don't have to do 50 of them a day to make the same amount of money. A hundred percent. Yes. Have a million times. I've actually said that to people because I'm like, this is a major abdominal surgery. This would cost, you know, a couple thousand dollars, but it's a spay. We desperately right. want to help pet owners get their pets spayed and neutered. And so we have discounted this dramatically. And this is not the cost of it. This is the discounted price. And I want to make that clear because you're right. They have this expectation. Well, I got my cat spayed for 50 bucks. Why is this exploratory? $2,000. <laughs> that was discounted. This is what yeah. that costs. Yeah. Right. And it's it's like, it's like, what's the difference between a spay and a splenectomy? You're opening the abdomen and taking out parts. But I would argue a spay, in many cases, is, is more painful, can be more complicated. It's like, but, but we'll do it for one-fiftieth of the price. And we've set an expectation with people, and it's based on that. I mean, when I was a kid, we saw the vet the once that we neutered or vaccinated our cat and that was it. And so my expectation of price was based on those few things. Sometimes right. that's mm. just the way it is. People just don't know. Yeah, absolutely. I, well, gosh, I know the three of us could go on about this all day, but <laughs> we, should, we should get going. Um, so so you mentioned at the end of, of kind of your career path there, veterinary cannabis counseling. To take us through a little bit of, of that, what is, what is that? What do you hope to do or what can you do with that certification? What What is veterinary cannabis counseling? Yeah. So this basically is a way to establish, well, I wanted to establish myself as a source of scientific information. I wanted to have, this is just a lot of emerging science on it. And so I wanted to get the most up-to-date information. I want to you know, be able to safely provide product evaluation because there's so much to it. And because it's not regulated in the same way, it is difficult to, well, kind of anybody can do anything with any of the things that are legal. And so we don't have anybody checking on those things. And so owners are often left thinking one product is the same than the next. Mm. And so this way we're able to kind of provide uh, that information and and figure that out for them. So the the basis is to essentially determine the people that are going to try cannabis with their pets. If they're to come into the clinic and say, my pet has uh, seizures and I want to try a cannabis product, we can't just 
say that's just not something that we have permission to discuss with you. We really do have an obligation to educate people on uh, harm reduction and all of that stuff. And so there's a lot to it as far as our, our staying out of it, sort of as the kind of federal laws go, us staying out of it doesn't protect the patient. And right. our goal is to provide that medical oversight to these patients because they're going to get it regardless. And we can't stand back and say, uh, this is a class of drug that uh, we're not allowed to talk about. So sorry, that's that that wouldn't happen with any other medication ever. And so we're going to provide product evaluation, safety evaluation and and administration guidance, basically, for these products. And because it's not well known, this course essentially takes you through the process. You learn about the endocannabinoid system, cannabis plant itself, all the legal issues, um, how to evaluate products for what's involved, like what's in it, as well as like toxins or molds and, and all of that stuff, the individual cannabinoids, the terpenes and the flavonoids and all of the stuff that we're looking at, which are all highly individual and they have very particular effects and all of that stuff. So all of that stuff is really important to know and we can, you know, tailor it to what specifically a patient needs. And so that is the goal. Awesome. Awesome. Mm. You know, you said in there one thing about not talking about it, like people are going to find this information. They're, they're, they're going to seek this information. So either we train people to be the authority on it and allow people to come talk to us as professionals and have a good conversation about it, or they're just going to search the dark corners of the interwebs and come <laughs> up with whatever anybody has put out there. Right. And bad things are going to happen or could, could happen, I guess. But yeah, like I I just, yeah, that's. Or worse, you know, they're going to get something that they don't really know what's in it and think that it doesn't work. Right. So then they'll be like, oh yeah, yeah, I tried that. It doesn't work. Right. Exactly. Also, yes. Yeah, absolutely. And so what is the process for becoming certified? Is there, is there a course that you have to take? uh, Yeah. And and is it like a online thing that you can do? Mm Mm-hmm. How do, how do you actually get in, involved in this? Yeah, so it's, I believe, veterinary cannabis counseling and education. And essentially, it is after there's an application process and accepted. Um, so you have to have two years of experience as a CVT. Or, sorry, or whatever. LBT, RBT, and things. Uh, assistants can do it after five years of experience. And then basically, there is a four-month course and that is done digitally or on a via webinar. Then you have a test, and then you have a period to collect case reports. So it's similar to kind of thing as well. Um, the whole process was maybe 10 months or so. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. There is actually a veterinary cannabis counselor specialist as well so really yeah is that is that like a like once you're a a vcc that's like a a next level credential you mean yes Uh, specialized in a particular area so oncology neurology kind of those areas oh okay 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 okay. yeah yeah oh that's really cool not emergency critical care but pain management (laughs) (laughs) yeah so you can even go further down the road with that which is awesome awesome so i i know you're kind of just starting out in 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 terms of having you know, just completed um, certification and what have you. But I'm, I'm sure one of the things you learn is because you mentioned it in there, the, the laws and things. So, of course, federal regulations, but there are a lot of states that have far more 
lenient laws, shall we say, and some that are far more restrictive. And in, in just previous conversations when we had Stephen Satal as a guest on, how do you have conversations or how do you kind of navigate some of that more stringent code where you still need to have those conversations, but it might be a little bit more difficult to do so? Right. Uh, well, we start um, with education. So it comes down to us knowing what we can do as far as legally and all of that, and then sharing that with veterinarians and uh, owners alike. And so veterinarians being the clinics and all of that, because everything we do is with their oversight. We can't do anything without a veterinary client-patient uh, relationship. And so we're depending on that to be um, sort of the, the contact base. But then beyond that, we in my state, it's not an issue, but I know plenty of other people are maybe in a state that's next door to another one that, that marijuana is legal, but really understanding the difference. And that's the key. And so the difference between hemp and marijuana is basically totally arbitrary. And it's just simply based on the amount of THC. So less than 0.3% THC is considered hemp and greater than that is considered marijuana. And so they do tend to have different properties as far as um, hemp is usually more kind of fibrous and so less of the resin and the stuff that we're looking for typically with uh, the cannabinoids, but they have plenty of those things. And marijuana just tends to have more of them because it ha it grows the type of you know plant and then resin and the stuff that we're looking for. And that's where the cannabinoids are. Plus THC is in that, which, can really help with uh, some specific conditions. But as far as hemp goes, there are lots and lots of things that we can do with that. Because again, it's only the THC number that, that designates it as marijuana products. So plenty of things that we can do with hemp products. So again, it starts with education, knowing the difference between CBD and CBC and CBN and CBG and all of those other cannabinoids that have and terpenes and all of the other pieces, basically, that have medicinal properties and benefits that we can use to our advantage. So there are lots of ways that we can use hemp products, which are legal everywhere. And then as far as the marijuana products go, uh, people are, again, they're just going to places, um, dispensaries, for example, getting products for humans. And then we are telling them how to administer it for places that... Well, again, sorry, let me back up. We are giving them guidance for administering it via that harm reduction sort of standpoint. So if you were going to give your dog meth, we wouldn't be like, <laughs> I can't tell you what to do. I'm super sorry. We wouldn't. We would be like, here's why that's a bad idea. Here are the benefits if you could find one. Um, so, you know, you would you would need to educate them on it. So we're going to educate people on the safety uh, risks and then, you know, the benefits and all of that. So that's where this comes in. And we're going to say the client is going to, I've already purchased this product. This is from out of state. My state's not legal. Uh, we're still going to come at it from a harm reduction perspective and provide them with the safety guidance, basically. Is there some significance or reason why that it's that 0.3%? Is, is that where nope. things are? Nope. No, that's just a, an arbitrary number. And that's just where we've drawn the line in the sand. Yep, literally. Gotcha. <laughs> okay, I'm glad we cleared that up. <laughs> it's, it's important to know that too, because that's the thing. It's like, is that the point at which you start to have? No, it's just a number that they chose on the hmm. farm bill. And 
that's how we decide. And now everything with less than that. And of course, that's, you know, hemp uh, farmers, lots of farmers here in Oregon that are growing this, they can have plenty of reasons why that could change. So by the time they go to harvest things, if just the tiniest bit of THC is a little over, their entire harvest is gone. And this is not a plant that's going to get people high or a thing high. It's still extremely low value, but that's just the number that's chosen. And now they can't sell that. So it's just, it's something we need to clarify as far as policy goes, but you know, we're not there yet. I'm, I'm going to expose my ignorance here. How, how do you control that? Like, is, is it a plant that you plant or is, is it just kind of luck of the draw of this one has too much? Um, I am not a farmer, so <laughs> I also don't know the intricacies of it, but I know that they cross pollinate very easily. This is how there are so many uh, variants um, mm-hmm. or strains, if you will, um, because they cross pollinate so much. And so I'm going to guess a little bit that it's stuff like that, um, okay. just the, the way that the environment can change the plant itself. One really amazing thing that cannabis does is uh, phytoremediation. So it actually draws from the ground uh, things like um, heavy metals, for example. And so the cannabis plant itself actually helps the ground be better. So Mm. the amazing thing about that is that you can actually help the soil to be healthier because the cannabis plant was planted there. But that means that those heavy metals and those types of um, things can be in the plant. And so that's Mm. why it's important that we test the plants for those things. So that's just, it can be affected by a lot of different. Gotcha. That makes sense. That's so super nerdy and I love it. Yeah, it's Um, it's, it's fascinating. (laughs) Yeah, it really is. So you mentioned in there, you know, talking to owners about dogs with seizures. You mentioned oncology in there. Obviously, pain management is going to be part of that. What are some of the uses of, of veterinary cannabis? And do we even have all of the information yet? Do, are, are there more things in the future that, that could be exposed that we could use these things for? Or, or where are we at with that? Oh, I think so, for sure. I think we have neglected to study this to the to the degree that we could have mm-hmm. for you know a long time we have not been doing that we are now and it's certainly ramping up but unfortunately i think we lost a lot of really critical time but we are catching up and so we are learning a lot of things about the ways that it affects the body and so if you guys aren't already familiar every body or mammals at least have an endocannabinoid system so just like we have an opioid system we can give them drugs, opioids to, you know, attach to these receptors, your body has the same thing as far as the endocannabinoid system. And so when given a cannabinoid, your body has a system set up for it. But what's amazing is you must already produce some of these in your body, these receptors being, you know, always there for stress relief or um, pain relief, that kind of thing. Mm. And so there are a lot of ways that we can tweak uh, the way we use a plant to affect the body systems. But some of the less severe things like chronic disease, uh, immune disorders, for example, a lot of these receptors are on immune cells. In fact, all of immune cells have these endocannabinoid receptors, which are amazing. So we can actually affect the immune system uh, with cannabis behavior, as we know, like anxiety and stuff like that. But as we get into more like severely out of 
balance systems. Um, this is when we usually want more of like marijuana-based product. And this can be things like severe inflammation, like really, really intense um, pain, uncontrolled or neurogenic pain too, that kind of thing. Um, cancer treatment. Lots of things are great at brain or sort of preventing degeneration of the brain, that kind of thing. So a lot of really, really incredible ways to use this. And these are again, constantly changing. And so we are learning a ton today and tomorrow there'll be even more. So yeah. It's amazing. Awesome. And we're kind of hitting it at like we're, we're seeing like at the, at the beginning of, of yeah, all this. Like it's, in it's real time. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. In real time. Yeah, no, that's exactly, you know, and the more we learn, the more we know about it. I mean, we've been a little bit uninformed even in the veterinary world about it, even though we've been seeing high dogs forever. <laughs> For example, education is key because we need to learn things like, you know, dogs don't have an LD50. So you can correct me if I'm wrong, Jeff, but um, this is the value <laughs> of like a, a lethal dose that is required to kill like half of the, the test population. So half of the group given this extremely high dose of whatever drug, this will kill half of them, basically giving you the lethality of a, right. of a drug. There is not one for dogs. This is just not going to kill dogs. We can leave a long pause for people to yell at me and <laughs> I know the one. There was a dog once, and he, there was this one that, and I saw this. I know, I know, I know, I know. But I'm telling you, there are confounding. Oh, the chocolate ones, or you know, there was uh, something else in it, or the dog was already in, you know, cardiac <laughs> failure or something. Yeah, those things right. didn't die of marijuana. So, you know, educating ourselves and just being more knowledgeable about just cannabis plants and and. In general, I, speaking of that, I actually took a call uh, not last night, but the night before, um, and actually, it was for, uh, the the caller was was from the town I lived in, in in Massachusetts when I worked at Tufts, and her rabbit uh, ate an edible. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was it was symptomatic and, and the, uh, the funny thing was was I actually I, uh, I told her she needed to go in and she she ended up going to, to tough CR and I was um, talking with some of my former co-workers there about it and uh, but when I was consulting with the doctor she was like we've had one case of a rabbit that got an edible in our database <laughs> and here was number two <laughs> yeah super funny so you mentioned in in kind of taking us through your career path there elevative veterinary training solutions. So let's talk a little bit about that, what you do, what your plans for it are. I'm guessing this veterinary cannabis counselor certification is just one of the tools in the toolbox there. What do you do with Elevative? Where do you want it to go? All of that. Yeah. So again, my focus was just bringing education and training or whatever I could to the masses. So um, I love to lecture and do presentation topics, doing that uh, whether that's at conferences or in this situation, that would be sometimes like a wet lab, for example. So I can go in and, and do training uh, days where think like wet lab presentations like advanced catheter placements or tubes, placing NG tubes or techniques, that kind of thing. So where you're able to kind of be there in the clinic, um, providing this sort of guidance where you're able to kind of help people practice and that kind of thing. Also, recover certified uh, rescuers. So sometimes I'm doing CPR training. Also, of course, the veterinary cannabis counseling is a part of that. But probably the biggest thing was the uh, training manual. So all of this started when many, many, many years ago, Jeff was basically a, a big piece of this too, because I was complaining endlessly about how uh, I couldn't keep 
staff basically in the hospital, but I couldn't keep um, trained staff and I couldn't get everybody up to the level that they needed to be very quickly because I was busy doing, you know, my job. And so I was like, we need a training manual that just tells people what skills they need to know at whichever level. And then, you know, something that's got the protocols with it that tells you exactly how to do that. Because, you know, the last thing I want to be thrown into is an emergency as a as a newer or inexperienced anybody and have to just know because they taught me once and that's just not fair. Um, so this training manual is essentially the entire manual from, you know, assistant to specialist level technicians that essentially gives you sort of the breakdown of every single level's um, list of skills and the associated protocols. And so once I made that for my clinic, I once it was done, it was almost 400 pages. I'm not kidding. Wow. That's insane. And that took me years and years and years and years because I couldn't get off the floor enough to do it because I was always <laughs> still a technician on the floor. And, you know, it, it taught me that... I, I knew that other people were dealing with the same thing. I just know that they are. And so I started reaching out and found that other clinics were like, we need a training manual so bad. And I'm like, oh, I know. I, I, I know I'm trying to create one too. When it was finally done, I was like, this is something that if I adapt and make it not for my hospital, um, I can create a, a handbook essentially that any hospital could take and start kind of getting their people onboarded. And, you know, especially with high turnover and now even more turnover, uh, having those things in place is like just so important for the staff that's coming on, but also the staff that's already there. You don't need them resenting somebody because they didn't know how to do it or because they didn't have anybody to teach them right because they were rushed because we don't always focus on training and how important that is. And so sometimes we neglect these really important pieces and I want to be able to give them something that says, this is how to do that really important thing I've been expecting you to do. Mm-hmm. which isn't too much to ask, but is way too hard to facilitate sometimes. Yeah. And I think too, you know, with the last like year and a half, the way that, that hospitals have been, I mean, like I hear, you know, all the time of, of ERs being on four, six, eight, 10, 12 hour waits or closing altogether because they're at capacity. Like what training is taking place Mm -hmm. when Mm -hmm. that's, when that's the case, like, so uh, again, just kind of feeding into that cycle we were talking about earlier, just w- we've, we've got to get better with, with being able to lay the groundwork. Exactly. So how do, how do people get in touch with you for uh, this training? Do you, do you stay kind of locally or are, are you branching out to kind of go to other states or what? Yeah, that can be anything. So of course the manual, I can you know help anybody with that anywhere, um, but I can do some webinars. So I can also do kind of uh, distance learning as needed, but um, you know, obviously this year, nobody's had me come into their clinic. <laughs> um, that's going to be, you know, back to kind of teaching in person and also potentially having more of our kind of educational events that we've put on before where we have a technician kind of CE weekend and that kind of thing. That would be ideal mm. as far as until that happens again, primarily, I'm just dealing with people on an individual basis. So kind of helping them with their specific training needs. So they will contact me typically just through my email. So that's elevativevts at 
Gmail. Cool. Yeah, well, we can post that on the on the yeah, show notes so that sure. everyone can get in touch with you. For sure. And April, are there any uh, regarding veterinary cannabis or or elevative as well? Is there anything that we haven't touched on at this point that you want to get out to to our listeners about either of those topics that we that we didn't ask you about? No, not on those topics. I don't think so. I just I think we need to get back to focusing on us. And I think we've been overlooking the the training piece for so long. It's always been almost a back burner topic. And I'm not really sure. Well, I mean, I think it comes down to we're just always uh, stretched too thin. We're just chronically <laughs> yeah. stretched between 10 different places. And I just know that across the board, that's pretty much how it is. I remember there being periods where that wasn't the case for me. And honestly, that was only because I was the head tech at the time and I staffed the place the way I wanted to staff the place. <laughs> then you have to figure that out. Because right. I'm, as the head tech, as the person who's scheduling it, I am bringing to the management what the technicians need. My perspective was not to bring to the technicians what the management needs out of them. We are, mm-hmm. we are doing a task. I'm doing a job that's really freaking important, and I'm barely getting what I need uh, to perform that task. I need to be able to tell my head tech to tell my managers or the owners or whoever what I need. And so as a head tech, that was my position was I need to provide them with what they need to do their job well, instead of, yeah, but do it with less, you know, could you do that, but also take on this other job. And that's just the way it is too often. And it's totally just gone on too long. It's just totally accepted, you know, in our, our lack of longevity in this field, I have to attribute, you know, partially that's pay, but how many of us have been doing it for the crap pay for as long as we know? Like, we've always had a problem with that, but is that the main problem or is that confounded by all these other things? Like, now we don't have, with seven years on average, how many times do you get to be trained by, you know, a veteran in the field? Yeah. Not very often. I wish I had somebody like that to teach me. And you know, I was lucky that I had doctors that wanted to teach me as much as I wanted to learn. But if I didn't have that, I I wouldn't have gone further. That means I wouldn't have been able to provide these services. I wouldn't have been able to teach the technicians that come up after me and then so forth. Like, I genuinely believe that my hospital is fantastic at technician utilization because we are really, really really skilled, experienced technicians. And if we keep turning over like this and we have all brand new people, it's not their fault, but they can only perform at a a level that they've been trained at. And until you increase that that bar, we can't do better. And so we who are desperate to do better because we're in this for a reason, we're going to be increasingly frustrated. And if we can't get better at what we do so that we can do our job better, we're not going to be satisfied with that. That's just going to continue to burn us out. All the hard things are going to be too hard to tolerate for long. Mm. That's the reality is it is that it's always been a struggle. And now things I think are coming to a head because they just got to be too much because we were already about to buckle and this just exposed that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just thinking about what you said there with the, with the longevity, you know, the three of us, we've been in the field for 20 plus years, but I mean, that's an anomaly. That's, that's not normal. And a lot of times, you know, as a technician gets to that five-year stage, suddenly they are the senior tech in that, in that 
practice and they still have so much more to learn. But again, like you, like you said, you can only train to the level that, that your most experienced person is. And I, th- I think we need to extend that to, to raise the level of, of what we're, we're teaching people. Right. Exactly. There's a lot to it. And I think that we can do better as far as, as that goes. Yeah. Uh, April, is there a person or another topic that you would like us to interview in uh, a future episode? That's curious. My, (laughs) my instinct here is I kind of want to know why, for example, our like ratio we need if anybody else has been a manager they've been given these numbers um so sorry if this is boring as hell but (laughs) you know ratio to staff to whatever cost or something or other is supposed to be like 20 percent. and in the er it can be maybe 22 to 25 i was running like a 27 (laughs) percent but oddly enough we performed better at that rate but anyhow i felt like I wanted to know why those like stringent uh, guidelines or what what you will with that is what are the reasons behind the numbers that we've chosen and why can't we think outside of that? Like, why are we so stuck in this financial bubble, but this isn't working? And so now that number maybe needs to be a little higher. Like if that number isn't working we got to do something different or at least consider that. So I kind of want a perspective of the manager or the person that has to implement these rules also because their perspective is one that I think it's easy for us to judge, you know? Yeah, well, they're probably suffering like we are because they're probably also stretched too thin and not paid well enough and all of the things. So Mm -hmm. this isn't a, you know, debate, although I'd love to be a part of that, but (laughs) this would be more of a, I want to know what's behind all of the stuff that we are sort of bound by, essentially. So, so I, just to be clear, you want to know the why? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I want to know why. <laughs> All right, no, that's a great idea. Um, yeah, because, someone on the business side of things. Yeah, because I mean, I can remember all the way back to when I worked general practice. You know, at our at our staff meetings, that was you know we always talked about that and where the overhead percentages fell and the bills of the hospital, so to, so to speak, and what there's got to be ways to to borrow from other areas to to start closing that gap in some way. There there just has to be. All right, April, before you go. We have one final question. It's our Vet Tech Cafe, Would You Rather? And I didn't even have to look this one up. This one I came up with on my own. <laughs> Are you ready for it? Yeah. Okay. Would you rather give up beer for six months <laughs> or get up at 5 a.m. at IVEX to run a 5K? Oh, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> um. <sighs> I'm going to have to say the 5K (laughs) because I've always said I'm never going to do that again. (laughs) My option was to also or give up beer for six months. uh, You know, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. We'll have to post the picture of the the last time. Yes. Yes. We made you do that. Yeah. That was DC, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. And and Dave and I are doing it again this year at Nashville. And I just remember how. Nope. Even at 6 a.m., how unbelievably sweaty hot it was <laughs> doing that at D.C. And uh-huh. I'm already regretting this decision, but yeah. there, there will be a cold beer at the finish line for exactly. sure. Right? Right. Exactly. At 6.45 or, or however long it takes me to walk a 5K because that's all I'll be able to do. But <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Actually, I won't even be awake yet, so you'll tell me. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll text you when we get to the bar. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> 
All right. Well, thank you so much for coming by the Vet Tech Cafe, April, and talking to us about the the, um, the veterinary cannabis counselor certification, because uh, I know it's still kind of early on and in its infancy, but I also I see a lot of interest and excitement about that kind of certification. And I know a lot of people will be very curious to, to hear what you have about it and, and what the process looks like. So thank you for talking to us about that. And best of luck with, uh, with Elevative, hopefully as things inch more and more and more towards normal that'll continue to grow and you can get back into clinics soon and and really start doing what you love so thank you for coming by and talking to us all about that we really appreciate it of course thank you guys for having me i cannot wait to see you again i know three I know, months right i know three months right. two and a half really i guess yeah i'm, I'm so yeah. excited to yeah to see you and to see all of our peeps again and and uh yeah do that again i can't wait yeah yep me too yes well thank you guys uh i appreciate you having me and as as always um bringing all of these things up so we can all absolutely it's important absolutely and uh and as as a sneak peek caffeinators if uh those of you that are listening if you are going to be in nashville um dave and i are trying to put together a, a little meetup meet and greet and just hang out probably at a brewery and have a beer or two if we can figure out a good night to do it so we'll uh if we get that uh kind of scheduled quote unquote uh we'll have more details about that soon but hopefully april you'll be uh you'll be able to join us for that you know it (laughs) all right (laughs) all right caffeinators you guys be well thanks for listening and we'll talk to you soon bye guys hey caffeinators we would like to thank you for listening to the vet tech cafe podcast today as everybody is well aware by now we often talk about difficult issues that face our profession in addition we chat with colleagues and leaders in our field who have strong opinions of these issues those opinions expressed by either dave or jeff as the hosts or those opinions expressed by our guests are their opinions alone and do not represent any other person business institution or any other entity inside or outside of the scope of veterinary medicine if you have any questions relating to this please email us at vettechcafe at gmail.com or visit our website www.vettechcafe.com lastly whatever platform you utilize to hear our dulcet tones please rate and review our podcast and like and follow our facebook instagram and linkedin pages as well to see what we're up to from all of us at the vet tech cafe have yourself a great day Thank you.